We're talking about incarnating Christ and we're going to continue on with the sermon that we had um, last week that Liz shared about in terms of encouraging each other. And I want to talk to you about encouraging one another and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm conscious that the Holy Spirit is here wanting to talk to you, whether you feel like he is or not. I'm conscious that God speaks to you every day in multiple ways. And a lot of the time you disregard what he's saying because you have learned to throw his words out rather than to listen to him. Sometimes it's because he asks you to do things that are very difficult for you to do, which means if you do the things that he asks you to do, you'd have to change your whole life. And you're not ready to do that just yet, so you dismiss what he says. I'm conscious that we all do that from time to time. We shouldn't, but we do. Dismiss what he says. It's not convenient for me to pray just now. It's not convenient for me to fast today. It's not convenient for me to ring that person. Um, you know, we get nudges all the time, but we follow them very rarely if we're ruthlessly honest with ourselves. It's not the thing that we should be doing. What God wants us to do is to be listening to him and ready to respond to and available to him continuously. I mean, what he's looking for is availability in our lives. God says, I'm looking for someone. Is there anybody? The, the eye of the Lord searches through the earth looking for someone who will stand in the gap, but he could find no one. So the question is about availability today. Encouragement, yes, but are you being available that you can be used to encourage somebody else? It, we can always look at a situation and say, well, well, someone needs to go and encourage those people. But if you thought about it, why don't you go and encourage those people? Why is there someone else who should do what you thought about doing? And sometimes we sit down and say, you know, the problem is Pastor Mark or Pastor Jerome or one of the other pastors don't do their pastoral work because I could see that that person needed to be encouraged, but nobody went to see them. It was my fault. Yet if you saw it and the Holy Spirit told you about it, then the question might have been, maybe you were the one that was meant to go. Maybe you were the one that was meant to go. Are you available for God to use you? So I want to pray over you right now and ask Jesus to make you available. Father, I ask that you just touch this congregation, small congregation, small in our own eyes as well, Lord, but you know each one of us. You know every person that's here and you know that if we would just listen to you, if we would just obey you, how things would be so much different in our lives. Father, we ask you to help us to be available to you. Not only will we hear you, Father, but we would willingly do the thing that you're calling us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. We ask you to open our ears to hear your word today. Not just to hear it, Lord Jesus, but to be willing to do it as well. We ask these in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said... Amen. So we're going to talk about availability versus self-centeredness because essentially that's the problem, isn't it? Our self-centeredness. When we are the centre of the exercise and I'm controlling my life and I'm determining what I will do and what I won't do, 
Jesus really doesn't have much to say in my life. If I'm so busy telling you exactly what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and I don't have much time for Jesus, I'm not available to Jesus. And Jesus will come back and say, I don't know why you're calling me Lord because I wasn't really the Lord of your life because you didn't let me do anything. You weren't available for me to be Lord in your life. You were the controller of your life. You were the one that controlled your destiny. You went where you wanted to go and you did what you wanted to do. And I really didn't have anything to do with it. So today I want to talk about availability and in the light of encouragement. So we know that Barnabas was the son of encouragement. That was his nickname. He was so encouraging that they called him Barnabas. And Barnabas means he's the son of encouragement. And we know that he got that nickname because out of all the guys there, when the, when the church was gathering together, he looked around and he saw, boy, these guys could do with a little bit of extra cash. And I go, I've got a block of land over here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go and sell a field and I'm going to bring my money and I'm going to put it in the church to help them all out. It's a completely selfless act. I'm available, he said to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, you got the extra land? I mean, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. He said to Barnabas, what's the point of the extra land for you? Barnabas said, I don't need it. It's just sitting there. Why don't I sell it and bring the money in and everybody can have something of a party? And that's exactly what he did. And when he did that, they said, man, you're full of faith. You're a, you are Barnabas, the son of encouragement. It was very encouraging. So we learned last week that encourages are real givers it's not about what they get it's not about what they take it's about what they can give to other people and so they're thinking their whole lives about how can i contribute how can i give something how can i how can i do something for someone else that will make them feel better they're not even thinking about themselves they're not asking themselves what am i getting out of this they're just so busy thinking about what they can do for somebody else mothers most mothers are encouragers because they do all their life give, 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 give. That's what they do. It's, it's like a natural, you know, they just learn to give. They just learn to give. And it's like usually the kids don't notice it until they become mothers themselves. And when they become mothers, they go back in their minds and they think to themselves, you mean to say that my mother took all that time with all of us and just kept on pumping in and pumping in all the way as I was growing up? I didn't really realise that until I am now a mother myself. Isn't that the way? So if you can come to that earlier, that's much better, isn't it? <laughs> just be a giver. Encourage the givers. Be available to give. So I don't have much... You've got lots. You can smile. You've got a hand. You can help. You can touch. You can, you can give some strength to somebody. You've got lots of things you can do. Encouragers also had an attitude about picking people up who were broken down or who were having a hard time. Now, Paul, he was Saul. Saul was uh, the enemy of the church. He had broken down many house doors and gone in there and taken people out and he'd taken them to jail and some had died, Stephen had died and Paul was happy, Saul was happy about that. So he was a bad man and then he got converted because Jesus met him face to face and confronted him and said, right, and Paul, Saul said, okay, I'm getting the message. And Barnabas saw Paul was not going to get a fair, fair hearing amongst the Christians. Everybody was scared of him. 
like um, they don't want to have anything to do with him. You know, this guy, he could be just telling us lies just so he could find us out and then he could take us away and, and hurt us some more. But Barnabas saw what Paul had been going through and he went down and the son of encouragement went down and he picked up Paul and he took him and he took him to the guys in Jerusalem, the guys who were leading the church in Jerusalem. And he said, come on, guys, give this guy a break. Jesus has done a wonderful work in saving this man. And the ministry of Saul turned to the ministry of Paul because Barnabas lifted him up. He was available. He was available. He saw and he says, I... Everybody was saying, nah, don't touch this man. And Paul, so, um, Barnabas said, you know what? I'm going to put myself on the line here. I'm going to be available to stand. And I, I'm glad he did because if Barnabas hadn't have stepped in and lifted, I don't know. I mean, maybe God would have used somebody else to lift up Saul, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe God would have lifted up somebody else. You know, Barnabas got his name recognized because he was available. So when we see situations about our lives and we see circumstances that we need to change, that we see things that people don't see, you see things through your eyes and your spirit and, you, and you're aware of something that, that no one else seems to be aware of. You know what the test is? The test is, are you going to do something about it? Will you be available to lift that person up? That's the real test. Barnabas took the risk and he was available. Encouragers lift others up. Encouragers are givers. And Paul knew the key to encouragement. So this man looked at Barnabas, experienced through the life of Barnabas, and he's had a lot of time with Barnabas. It was Barnabas and Saul, Paul, going out on missionary journeys, and then Barnabas lifted him up and exalted him above himself, and it was Saul and Barnabas then, and Barnabas took the secondary role. But Barnabas kept on lifting people up. He lifted up John Mark when when. When Paul had had enough of John Mark, he said, I can't trust him anymore. He ran off on me. But Barnabas went after him and he picked up John Mark. He was careful. Barnabas was careful to look out for those things. And Paul learned the lessons from Barnabas of encouragement. He looked at him and he had felt the benefit of an encourager and that encouragement had rubbed off on Paul, so much so that when Paul writes to the Philippians, and he was a great encouragement to the Philippians and to every other church that was around because he had learned these things from Barnabas, he said, therefore, if, any, if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ, he said he could look at Barnabas and say, you know, Barnabas, you're united with Jesus. That's where that comes from. That's where that great encouragement comes from, from your relationship with the Lord. And he writes it down. Therefore, if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So he was able to tell you clearly that encouragers were connected to Jesus. And that if you lost your connection to Jesus, you would lose your ability to encourage. Because encouragement comes from your ability to bring Jesus to somebody else and give them some sense of strength because of that. Encouragement. Stay connected to Jesus. And Timothy was an expression of that encouragement. So that's an interesting 
connection there. You have Barnabas contaminating Paul with encouragement so that Paul knows about encouragement. Timothy now is the disciple of Paul. And he's aware of what it looks like. And the Philippians, he says to the Philippian church, I have in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. I hope to send Timothy to you so that you may be cheered when I receive news of it. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks after their own interests and, and not of those of Jesus Christ. And so he said, I don't have anybody just like Timothy. Here was Timothy. when He was, he was a pastor of the church of, of Ephesus. When he looked at somebody, he was more concerned about what they were going through than about what he was going through. He was more concerned about and had a genuine concern. It was a real concern. It, it wasn't just a, he wasn't just making it up, you know, like a friendly look. Oh, how are you going? And it's, you know, you really don't want to know how I'm going because you're just saying that because that's the way you greet. No, he really cared. He really was genuinely caring about what you were going through. He had a, and the Australians say, fair dinkum response to your plot. He was in there looking out and he was concerned. So if Timothy were here, he would probably round you up and he would say, how are you going? He'd put his hand on you and then you'd look, at, look you straight in the eyes and he would go deep into your, into your head and he'd try and find out exactly what's happening because he cared. And you'd have that sense, Timothy cared. And Paul said, you know, I don't have anybody else like Timothy who has a genuine concern for the welfare of others. He said, everybody's looking after themselves. Is that the case? You see, Timothy was available... Paul was available and Barnabas was available to be used by God to encourage others. You think about your busy life. One of the things that we have in our, in our world is busyness. We're all busy doing something. And when it comes time to do something for Jesus, it's like, you know what? I'm just a little bit too busy to do that. You know? And the Holy Spirit can't get in to get you to change your mind. You can't get, to get you to think about something other than what you want to do. And I just want to just talk to you today about the decisions that you make in life. We are told that we make something like 10,000 decisions every day. 10,000 decisions every day. And most of those are automatic decisions. You don't even think about it. You know, you just do it. Shall I cross the street now or not? Yeah, I'll cross the street now. You're just making a decision, you know. Most of those have to do with the preservation of your own life. Very few of those have to do with other people. You're making 10,000 decisions every day and we need to change our perspective of life if we are to start to be available for God. So we have to get out of this circle where we're focusing on ourselves and start to think about what is outside of my life. Who am I engaging with? Who am I speaking with? What's going on in their lives? How can I help them? How can I minister to them? One of the things that I find extraordinary is that oftentimes it's not the people that you think should be showing interest that show interest. It's usually the people you think have every reason not to show interest that show interest. It's usually the ones who are hurting, who are, you know, and it's like, well, we just deflect off myself let's ask about your situation now 
They may be going through some sickness themselves. They may be going through some difficulty themselves. I remember my daughter when she was laying in bed and the girls came in and she was dying of cancer. They thought she was dying of cancer. And they came and they all started crying. You know why they're crying? They're not crying because Renee looked like she was dying of cancer. They were crying because they were facing their own mortality and they didn't like the idea that maybe one day they were going to die and they didn't like the idea that she was going to die. And yet Renee's looking at them and seeing their problem and seeing their plight and saying, it's okay, it's all good. And she's comforting them. In their... And I think to myself, what, it, that, what happened there? It should be the other way around. What happened that the sick person now become the comforter and the well person is the one who's mourning? Like sometimes parents are meant to be parents, you know, and they go through some broken relationship and they're all emotionally distraught and they sit there crying and their children come up to give them a little cuddle and a pat. Is everything okay, mum? Let me pray for you, mum. You think, oh, my children are so maturely strong. Yeah, but you see the... They're looking to encourage. And it should be the other way around. The parents should be encouraging the little ones, not the other way around. It's oftentimes upside down for us because we get so caught in our own... We get so caught with our own problems. You didn't wake up this morning and face what I have to wake up and face every day. And it's all looking at me now. And the whole day is around me. Oh, And then all of a sudden it's like... Someone else comes into your life. You just can't. I, I just can't handle it now. Just don't, don't, don't. don't I, can't you see I'm in problems? I can't handle anything else. Was she in the wrong place in your head? You are always going to have troubles. You will always have difficulties. Some days they will be louder than other days. Some days they will be screaming at you. But that doesn't mean that you can't help somebody else who's in the situation. And you can't extend to them gracious care just because you're in need. You can do the obviously difficult thing because Jesus empowers you to do it. And he's present with you. And if he nudges you and says, why don't you comfort this one who comes to you now? Why don't you share with this one who comes to you now rather than taking the focus on yourself? Listen to his spirit because you'll find that if you take a step forward proactively to do something for someone else, you'll feel a whole lot better about your situation after you've done that. You see, when Jesus speaks to your heart, when Jesus lays something on your heart to do something, there's a reason why he's doing it. And when he speaks to your heart by the Holy Spirit and says, get out of where you're at and focus on me and get to encourage somebody else, it's usually because you're in a revolving little thing looking at yourself and getting dizzy in the focus. He says, get your eyes off you, trust, trust me and help someone else. And when you do that, you will find that your problems will grow very, very small and the grace of God, which is bounding within you because you're obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit, will buoy you up and you will become full of strength in the midst of your problems. The strength will come as you give it out. The courage to keep on going will come as you give it out to somebody else. It's like if you try and hoard it for yourself, you'll never have enough. But if you give the little that you have away, God will flood into your spirit something else. And you have to believe that. You have to get out of yourself to do that. You have to be available for God to use you. You don't have to be well for God to use you. You don't have to be bright for God to use you. You don't have to have an education for God to use you. You just have to be available. 
And if you're available, God will use you. All you have to say is, use me, Jesus. Use me, Jesus. And before the day is out, he will provide an opportunity whereby you can be genuine in your care for somebody else, just like Timothy. Timothy practiced valuing others above himself. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's difficult to get out of a self-centered focus when you keep looking at yourself. It says, I think it's Ecclesiastes, evil will not release its bond on you or its chain on or or tie while you keep practicing it. So if I want to be free from drinking if I was an alcoholic, I will never be free from drinking while I keep drinking. If I want to be free from smoking if I'm smoking, I'll never be free from smoking if I keep Smoking. I have to stop it before I can be free. If I like eating and I can see some biscuits under that table there, they're looking like really nice biscuits. They're not your biscuits, are they, Eugene? No, good. They're your biscuits. Mine. That's an interesting two-year-old turn. Mine. If, if I have a problem with eating, <laughs> I'll never be slim if I keep on eating. I, can, I don't want one, thank you. I'm being very brave. Do you want those? I know you would have them. Here you have them. <laughs> Listen to me. You will never be free from yourself while you keep focusing on yourself. You have, to make it, you have to wake up one morning and say, you know what? Enough of me. Let's get out of this silly game I'm playing about me being the center of the whole world and let me see if Jesus can show me someone else. And let me see if I can focus on helping two or three people today. Imagine that if you got up in the morning and said, Lord Jesus, help me to focus on others to help two or three people today. And you wake up and your mum's out there doing something. You think, right, you go outside your bedroom and and you think you look at your bed and it's not made. And you think, I could help mum. Just the, the voice is there in your head. Make your Oh, that's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't, it's just there. That's stupid, isn't it? The Holy Spirit actually telling me to make your bed. Why would the Holy Spirit tell me to make my bed? Because if your mother came in and saw your bed was made, she'd go, oh, the bed is made. Oh, I don't have to make it after you left. Oh, how stupid, Mark. You think the Holy Spirit wouldn't say that, hey? I don't know what you think the Holy Spirit is. I'm just, he's a person and he cares about my wife. He cares about her real lots. I'm having a shave. Well, actually, I wasn't going to have a shave. I was going to grow a beard. I had a beard till this morning, you know. And I said, look at that gray, ugly beard I got there. I think I'll grow a beard. It might look good on me. It might make me look intelligent. Everybody in the house said it made me look like somebody from the street, but I don't know. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll shave, you know. The voice says, yeah, just have a shave. Why? For my wife. Is it the Holy Spirit telling me to shave for my wife? Well, would it please her? 
Probably. Is the Holy Spirit happy to please her? Okay. Would she be upset if I didn't shave? She probably would. Does she like kissing my smooth face? She says yes, and she's poking her thumb up. That's good. She would. So after I have my shave, I notice that round the basin, there's all the hair from my chin on the... Well, I just got to leave that there, shall we? Or should I wash it and wipe the sink? You think the Holy Spirit's interested in whether I put water down and wash the sink around? When I've gone to the toilet and there's the marks on the bottom of the toilet, do you think the Holy Spirit's interested if I pick up the toilet brush and rub it? Do you think the Holy Spirit would even play that sort of game with me? Would he think that you can take the toilet brush and clean the toilet after you've been there and made a mess? Because if you did that, it would help somebody else and encourage somebody else. Do you think he's caring about that? You don't think he's caring about that. That's why you don't. And that's why there's problems in your house. Because the little things, the very small things, the minute things, the Holy Spirit is clearly interested in. And the interests of others are what he's thinking about. And when he tells you, clean the sink, do the dishes, Put the clothes on. Iron your stuff. He's telling you for a reason. Because if you all did it and you all played team, you would be living in heaven. But you don't care that the Holy Spirit would care enough to tell you about the little thing. You can't clean the toilet, but you want to raise the dead. Seriously, when did you think you were going to get from cleaning the toilet to laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover? What did you think was going to take place between this one and that one? You're not available to do the menial tasks, but you expect God to shine through his glory through your life. When did you think you were going to learn? Did you think that when you got praying here one day, when you got up off your knees, there was going to be a Shekinah glory and everybody would walk down there and come near you and, the, and your hand would just and you shake it that and I'd feel it all over them. And all your awareness went home and you thought, oh, the dishes aren't done. Well, that's, that's John's job. John never does his job. Why don't you just do it for John? You see, because you don't believe God speaks. But I think he speaks more than you listening. And if you listen to what he said and did what he said on a daily basis, every minute of the day, you would find if you were available for him, things would get extremely exciting for you. But you're not listening. And even now, you're not listening, which is a bother to me. You think that somehow God has got to come down and ring some enormous bell. Ding, 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 ding. Ruth Robinson, I'm speaking to you now. Ding, ding, ding. And everybody, okay, Ruth, let's get the spoken to He doesn't do that. A very still and quiet voice that only you would hear if you were quiet enough to listen. A nudge on the inside that said, get up, shut up, and do something good, not evil. What are you looking for? What do you think God is meant to be doing in your life? You watch too much TV and you think it's got to be dramatic, like a smoke screen behind us and the lights peering out somewhere and angels flapping their wings and coming down. 
and standing in front of you. Watch the TV movie screens and you see all this stuff in front of you and the singing and you think that's what it's going to be. Ah, you'll be sitting there and you'll be dry and you won't feel anything. But the little voice inside you say, do something for someone else. And this is the something I want you to do. And it will be clearly in your mind. And the choice will be yours. And the question will be, are you available to make a difference for Jesus? So encouragers are are givers and they lift others up and they stay connected to Jesus and they value others above themselves because they are available to Jesus and they listen to him. So what will others remember you by? Turn to the person beside you and say, what will others remember you by? That's an interesting question because you're going to die one day and if the Lord tarries you'll probably write something on the stone. Imagine your, your stone, you know, you're going to come maybe 20 years, give me 20, maybe 25 years, and you'll be burying me. You'll put me in a box and you'll put dirt on my face. I'll have gone to be with Jesus. And I'll, you'll say, what will we put on his stone? And I'll write these words, before I die, he cleaned the toilets. And you might laugh, but that is the role of a minister. To clean what other people mess up. And it may seem menial to you, but you need a whole lot more strength to get your hands in that bowl than you do to stand up in front of this place. Friends, what will you be remembered for? For your availability to God? Will your life be a blessing to those around you? Or will it be a curse? Will your life be a curse to, rather than a blessing? Will you be encouraging or discouraging? The words that come out of your mouth. Ah, shut up, you piece of snot. Discouraging. You know, this is humor today. Humor in the the world's eyes is to say the most disgusting things in the most horrid way in front of somebody, and they call it a a roasting or something. They say, so-and-so, so-and-so, and and then they use all the expletives and they be the most say the horriblest thing and everybody goes, ha, ha, ha. But if you actually said that to me for real, that would be the most hurtful thing. But everybody, you know, they think that's funny. How can I say that? Oh, yeah, girl. And you're talking to a bloke. They think it's funny, you know. <laughs> it's not funny, you know. Discouraging people is not funny. There's nothing funny about it, not even anywhere. It's not, e- not even funny when you joke about it. It's not funny. It's just not funny. You'll be remembered for a man who's quick on his feet, who could bring others down real quick with his mouth, or a man who built people up and spoke words of encouragement to lift them up. When you went away from him, you felt like, oh, I'm just so glad he's alive because every time you go near him, you, you just feel good when you leave. 
You're going to be available or self-centered. Are you going to be accepting of others or judgmental? Are you going to be compassionate or you're going to be harsh? Are you going to be thoughtful or thoughtless? Are you going to be respectful or disrespectful? What will you be remembered by? If you were to drop dead today, would we have to tell lies at your funeral to make you look good? Because if we were ruthlessly honoured, we'd say they were rotten. There wasn't very many things that they said that was very nice. They just caused pain most of the time. If you are ruthlessly honest. You know, you go to funerals and you hear people lie about the person who's in the box in front of you. Because this is when you say good things about them. And there's not very many good things you could say because they were selfish, self-centered, disrespectful all of their days. What would you be remembered by if you were to drop dead now? And I was giving a funeral service. What would you be remembered by in your life? So how available are you for the blessing and encouragement of others? You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. You've got to change your life from being a curse to a blessing. You need to incarnate Jesus. That means you need to let Jesus be the one who controls your life. And what do you have to do to lift other people up? How do you do that? How do you get out of where you're at? How do you stop doing your own thing and your own mentality with your own view and get out of that self-centered prison and get into something that Jesus wants you to do where you're serving others and being the good Samaritan, working through those things, doing what God wants you to do? How do you get out of the situation that you're in? The two great actions that take place to reverse the curse of self-centeredness in your life. And, I'm go- and I was reading in the book of Genesis this week about Father Abraham. And I see in Father Abraham the incarnation of Jesus. Even before Jesus was born, even before Jesus came, you know, Jesus came and he spoke to Abraham. The Lord came and spoke to Abraham and said to Abraham some things because he wanted to make him a blessing, not a curse. He said, you've got to change your life, Abraham, where you're living now. It's not real good and you need to change. So God came to Abraham. This is the word in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He says, the Lord said to Abraham. So here he is, the Lord. Who's the Lord? It's Jesus pre his coming. It's called a Christophany. The Lord comes down. Jesus comes down. And it is Jesus. And he talks to Abraham and he says, Abraham. So here we have a man who's available to talk to to Jesus. A man who's living in a pagan world, much like the world we're living in today, which is idolatry and anti-God. And and Abraham, Abraham makes himself available and says, yes, here I am. And the Lord comes and says to him, here, give me eye contact. Look at me. Look at me now. And so he gets Abraham's attention. Then he tells him two things. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That's the first thing he says. Go. Which means you, have to, you can't stay where you are any longer. 
I don't know where you came from today to to be here, how you got here, what was in your mind. I don't know where you're sitting in your mind right now, what it's about your life. But if it's not where God wants you to be, and you're not what you're meant to be, you're not a a person that is listening to the voice of God's Spirit. You've you've deadened your heart to God's Spirit. Right now, at this point of time, you want to stop and listen. Because if you want to be a blessing and not a curse in life, you have to get out from where you are and go somewhere else. You can't stay where you are. Think about it. How long do Well, I think I might grow out of my sin. When I'm at least 30, I'll stop and I'll turn my life back to God. You'll get hit when you're 25 and you'll be dead. Listen to me. If you know you're not where you're meant to be and you can hear the voice of God's Holy Spirit because I asked him to speak to you this morning. And you hear that little voice inside of you saying to you right now, you need to change where you are because you're down, down, down going to hell where you are now. You won't get out of that. And you can hear he's giving you a window of opportunity. And he's saying to you, like he said to Abraham, you've got to get out of your father's household, the devil's household. The devil's household. You've got to get out of it, shake out of that. Whatever your father was doing, the devil was doing, the self-focus and the introspective and the sin, he says, you have got to leave that now. You have got to leave. It's called repentance. You have to turn away from it and get out of that. If you don't turn away from it, you will die in it. And I don't know how many times God is going to speak to some of you. I don't know how many times he's going to knock on that door. You think it's endless. You think that you can come and sit and God will knock at your door and keep on talking to you and keep on drawing you back. Don't you be concerned about it. God will know when he will stop and you don't know that he might stop. This may be your last opportunity. Seriously, you do not know if you've got tomorrow. And God could be speaking to you right now and saying, it's time for you to get out of your father's house and to come to a land that I have prepared for you. You need to shake yourself and get yourself seriously scared about turning that switch off again of conviction. You need to move yourself and say, God, help me not to do that one more time. God, help me not to do that one more time. Help me to listen to you this time. I don't know what tomorrow brings. Jesus, help me to get out of where I'm at. Help me to leave my place. To go to a better place. And if you don't think that you're in a bad place, you're welcome to it. You will be remembered as a curse. But if your heart's desire is to be a blessing in life, and you've been a curse thus far, today God is saying to you, I give you an opportunity. Get out from your father's household. And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now you want to think about this. Jesus was telling Abraham to do this. What did Jesus do? He left heaven. 
He left his father's house. He entered into life and it cost him something dearly. He did that so that he could be a blessing to you. And here he is now. He's speaking to you. He's saying to you, I did it for you. All you have to do now is do this for me. Abraham, you do this for me now. Leave your father's house and just come with me. And he's saying to you now, listen to what Abraham did. Look what he did and showed us about Jesus. Come with me, says the Holy Spirit, to a place I have prepared to make your life a blessing. The question today is, are you available? Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open it? so that I can come in and have fellowship with you. Behold, I'm knocking at your heart's door. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You have an opportunity now to leave a place of curse to enter into a place of blessing to become an encouragement to others will you move or will you stay where you are let's pray I want you to stand. Stand up. Father, your Holy Spirit is present with us and we thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. Your Holy Spirit teaches us and convicts us of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. I mean, you tell us when we are doing the wrong thing. You make it abundantly clear to us. You speak so strongly into our hearts and you provide an opportunity for us to respond to you. Father, we would ask that you would make us available at this time to move out of the curse and into the blessing, away from self-centeredness into a place of encouragement in you. I pray for those who are in this place, Lord Jesus. I don't know what you're going to have to do to move some of them. But, oh God, I pray for their souls right now. That the game would stop. And the lights would come on. And that Jesus would take his place in their home. And in their heart, Lord Jesus, that they would move away from their father's house into the land that you have prepared for them. 